Hello. A grenade blast knocks you to the ground, forcing mud into your eyes and ears. From the haze of concussion, a figure approaches wearing flying gear and a futuristic hat. It reaches down to take your hand and says, My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and religious transvestite, and you're listening to Cinema Limbo. Tonight's presentation is Biggles Adventures in Time, the 1986 science fiction adventure loosely adapted from the books by W.E. Johns. My guest is scientist and nostalgian Ed Bloomer, who joined me and my cans of lager in his flat next to a big field in South London. So, Ed, how did you enjoy the movie? I did not. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. I did enjoy it, but I think in a different way from my... 10, 12-year-old self, whenever it was when I first saw this. That's a shame, because I had a really nice time. <laughs> what do you... What? This is the first time I've recorded a podcast under the affluence of alcohol. Good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, my, my thinking was, Biggles is not... It, with the best one in the world, it's not a film that's going to stand up to detailed scrutiny it's not multi-layered or anything like that no okay it's not it's no I Hunt Huckabees or Escape <laughs> right yeah because those films are clearly aiming for layers and aiming for subtext this is a straightforward adventure movie okay so I thought watch it with a couple of beers and just go straight into the podcast Okay, and, uh, you've done a little bit of research or reading up. I've done I've, nothing. I've tried that. It has almost no presence on the internet. There seems to be almost no Biggles Adventures in Time fandom. There's obviously a fandom for the books. Yeah, okay. The, the, the books of which there are nearly a hundred volumes. Um, but there's very little about the film that I was able to find. There's the Wikipedia page, which is quite useful. But aside from that, almost nothing. Right, okay. I mean, I, vague, I have vague memories of maybe reading one or two of the books, maybe my dad reading me them, but uh, I don't. That's not necessary. I think we can agree. No, no, for, no. no. It, for, you, don't, it's, you don't need to know anything. No, no, no. In I, fact, if the less you know about the, plot the, the original or the original <laughs> plot, there's narrative, there's nothing wrong with the plot or the narrative. It might be worth explaining a bit. Yeah, if you haven't, it, if you haven't, if you haven't seen the film, or you're not even aware who Biggles is, it was kind of. I mean, would you say it's the, like the precursor to James Bond, maybe? Um, like a pulp adventure hero. Yeah, or so, or like kind of Dan Dare, but obviously not science fiction. Actually, or yeah, Dan Dare is much closer, I'd say, than James Bond. Yeah, there's, a, but there's, yeah, that, so sort of very sort of boys, boys, boys adventure, adventure. boys adventure sort of, yeah, um, kind of. Originally a World War One fighter ace, and the, the books carried on after that. And between the wars, he was a spy, and there was stuff in World War Two, and then working for the Special Air Police. And the books carried on being published until about 1970, when the author died. And although there had been a TV series, did Biggles did Biggles age in the books? Biggles did not age, apparently. No, there had been a plan for a movie sometime in the 70s, apparently, supposedly. And then by the 80s, someone else had bought the rights. Indiana, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark had come out and demonstrated that there was a market for a retro style period adventure. Yes. And they thought, well, Biggles would be perfect for that. And you can understand the thinking there because it's British, it's homegrown, there's the, there's the added dimension of it being a war story and mm-hmm. being aeroplanes and that kind of thing. And <laughs> then supposedly while 
the script was being written Back to the Future came out and I thought right clearly Just... this is the thing that the kids want they like time travel as well so the script was completely rewritten to incorporate time travel so we have the main character the main character is not really that's such an odd I mean that is such an odd it's writing the coattails of success yeah but even I mean even knowing that that happens and there are trends and people try and follow them that's a big one that's like I mean that's like saying dinosaurs are in Beagles has a pet dinosaur. It, you know, it's that's a fundamental shift. Yeah, really. You can understand having an American in it because they want to tap into that market. Yeah. That's that, that's fine. But but just deciding one like that. What was that meeting where somebody said we're gonna we're gonna change it? We're gonna <laughs> you want to add a character? Well, time, yes. Time is a character. No. Um, well, the thing is, Raiders of the Lost Ark had. Spawned so many imitators, and and that whole genre during the '80s of that kind of adventurer, yeah, movie. okay. And they must have seen Back to the Future came out in America, July '85. It was a giant hit from day one. Okay, and they thought, oh, this is the next thing. It's going to be time travel movies. Let's get in early and have a period adventure movie, Alan Indiana Jones, mixed with time travel. Yeah. So there's going to be a present day element that the audience can latch on to, where they're thinking, oh, well, they're not going to have, they're going to have a problem with period adventures. Well, clearly they didn't, because Indiana Jones is a period adventure. Yeah. That wasn't a problem. I can understand the thought processes. Um, I think it works. And actually, the central idea of the time twin, and I think the problem, the problem isn't it, is that we watched this movie together. But we were also talking about <laughs> a lot of the time. So I think we missed the bit where they explain what the time twins are. Which wait, is, wait, you think we missed the bit which made it... Yeah, because they do actually say, they explain the idea of the time travel, which is that Biggles and Jim Ferguson are time twins, and that when one of them is in deadly danger, the other is pulled through a hole in time to help them. That, I mean, that is a, that's a good idea, and you, can, you could have a TV series where that happened. And yeah. I, yeah, that, I mean, that is a good sort of... Skeleton. It's a great concept. That is a good skeleton for, for, for uh, what, time of travel adventures, mm. going back and forth. That is good. I won't deny that. I think, I think the problem, as far as I can see, is that it's so flat. Like, the pacing in this sort of... I mean, we were jo- Well, I was laughing. You were. Uh, I was giggling at some bits. Of just how many shots there are that just go on for just three seconds too long of just people staring at each other. Or... You know, people uh, looking at things look, and reaction shots actually. Reaction yeah. shots tend to go on slightly longer than they yeah. need to. But the reaction shots are also really muted they're, a lot of the time. A lot of the time, the reactions are just like, ah. Oh. I mean, you don't, you don't want to go too blacky. You don't want to be like, oh, because no, that's too much. Because but a lot of the time, they're trying to underline how terrible this is and that how dramatic it is without going too big. Yeah, but. It's. Yeah. Oh, it's. It, I think. Uh, the director, whose name I, I can't pronounce, H O U G H. H O U G H. Hoff. 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 How? Hoff. 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 I would have thought. Um, but anyway, he was a bit of an old school director. He worked with, uh, with Hammer. Okay. So he was very experienced, you know, could get it done on time, on budget, no problem. But 
not necessarily the most dynamic. No, it need, no. It, I mean, say it needs someone like Steven Spielberg. But it needs someone with that kind of sensibility of of energy and yeah, freshness. It was very, and, very low energy. And like, it needs to be the the edit needs to be tighter. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's very low energy. It's very. But in some cases, it works because the the scenes where they're exploring the the, the town of Blanchefleur is very moody and atmospheric and you don't really know what's going on for a while. That helps with it being just the pacing, just slowing down a little. I, okay. For, but, mo- for but, mood and atmosphere. But, it, but that's, that's a situation where its pace works and the rest of the time it's a bit more of a problem. Yeah, but even... Yeah. I can't really... I can't really, uh, I can't really describe what I'm thinking... Uh, when I'm thinking properly, but it, it seemed like everybody was in the same place all the time. Do you know what I mean? There wasn't much. Now, now that's actually not true because there was sort of flipping back and forth with people, especially when they were escaping from the, the hotel and things. There was a sort of bit of cutting back and forth. Yeah. But I don't know. I just felt like everything was the same height. Everything was the same depth. It, you were always the, the groups were always in the same sort of. Spot. Like, there was just nothing dynamic about the oh, setups of the scenes. Right. So the, the way scenes were being shot and blocked was. Yeah, I think very, so. Right. I, yeah. Again, I'd say that just comes back to the director being old school and efficient, rather yeah. than necessarily. Yeah. How long? How long is it? What's the runtime? Uh, well, listen. We've actually got it paused on the closing credits, so you could probably oh, yes, bring up the counter. Good, uh, good point. So one thirty-two. Yeah, it's where well, yeah, well, it's an hour and a half, give okay. or take. Without the credits, it's, it's yeah. a bit under an hour and a half. Cut everybody's reaction shots by oh, oh, cut, two cut, seconds. Yeah, cut trim save down half an hour. <laughs> save about half an hour. Yeah. No, you could. Yeah. It, it, yeah, you could bring it down to an hour twenty-five, maybe. Oh, I think you could cut it much. You don't want to cut it too much though, because if you if you make it too short, then it starts to be a bit weird, and it just looks like a overextended. TV movie. Yeah, okay. it doesn't look like it's made for television. The scale of it looks impressive. There's aerial shots. There's location footage that looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Bits of uh, stock footage of New York. Yeah, and that's true. Location footage of New York that's apparently been filmed um, near to uh, Tower Gateway, Doctors Like Railway Station. That's true. And I, then the other bits because I, I recognise the buildings. Well, yeah, and then the other bits that are at Tower Bridge, which moved two, the, yeah, two minutes down the road. Yeah. All and the yeah. locations in the middle of London are literally about ten minutes walk from each other. Yeah. Wow. That's they might have just been at Tower Hotel. That was that was their base of operation. That was the base of operation. And, they and just and you can just walk to all the locations yeah. from there, which is actually again, it's a very efficient way of doing things. That's true. That's true. The budget must have been. Efficiently a spent. Brit- a British film in the eighties. The budget was not going to be high. No, no, of course. I mean, as, 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 as I mentioned while we're watching it, it looks like they spent most of the money on dynamite. Yeah, there's some good explosions. Mm. Um, the, uh, the the big climactic explosion is gigantic. And some of the bits where they're in the ba- uh, the, the biplane, um, you know, some of them are quite. The aerial footage looks really. Yeah, good. some of the aerial footage is quite thrilling. Get close, don't get too close, because you know, because you're doing it all for real. There's, what I mean is, you know, there's lots of sort of, there's lots of bits where they're shooting at each other, and then it cuts to a shot where they're they're not quite side by side, but they're clearly there's a, there's one's a, to the side and in front, so you can get a nice camera shot of it. 
and that happens about four or five times and then a little sweeping shot down towards the field and then away again and then another one from much higher up where the other f- plane is filming the other one you know mm. I mean it's good it's good but it's uh, yeah it's kind of workmanlike I guess it's um, yeah it's me um, sorry, sorry. No, no, what were you going to say? no 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 no, no. Were you just going to shit on something I love again? No, no, that, yeah, probably, probably. No, but I was going to say, I mean, I, I remember watching it as a kid and I remember thinking it was really good. And I wonder if maybe just as a kid, like, all those things that, you know, the, the complete lack of subtlety. Like, I wouldn't have cared as a kid, I guess, because I'd want those big broad strokes. Like, yeah. I would know, like, oh, he's a... He's a bad he's guy a, because he's, he's wearing an iron mask. Yeah. <laughs> he's definitely good. He's it. definitely. And he's def- a proto-Nazi. Yeah, he's they're, just de- a, they're definitely you know. not Nazis, even though they all yeah. they all look like Nazis. It's a tricky one. I mean, the First World War is a tricky thing to do because it's not clear-cut the way. No, because the Germans weren't any more bad guys than we were. Well, it was just it was empire building on both sides. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just a horrific, horrific thing that went on for years and years. And yeah, it's it. Where Second World War, I mean. You could argue there were there would even be you know um, subtleties with the morality even then, but still you can still frame a uh, you can sort of frame a narrative which is it's the Nazis they are the bad guys everyone yeah. else are the good guys. You can it, you can have someone machine gunning Nazis and it's not gonna I'm not gonna raise moral objections to no that no because no. they're Nazis whereas here they're machine gunning German soldiers and there aren't any nice Germans. No, I mean they, they, maybe if. Marie had been a German. That, yes, that, that, would, that have would have been. been interesting. Apparently, Marie is actually a character from the books. Right. Okay. Um, Biggles didn't have many female relationships. Obviously, no, because just boys don't like reading about romance and kissing. And all that no, stuff. no, no. He used to just hang around with Ginger and hang around with Aldi, Bertie, and Ginger. I definitely remember Ginger. It was clearly fine. Yeah. Well. Um, so, uh, but you, but you're right. If she'd been German or. Yeah, it's. Diff- I mean, I did. I mean, I made a joke about it, but I thought when when they, they're testing the weapons and they just leave the unconscious Germans outside, <laughs> that's a bit grim in retrospect. Well, they're not going to. Well, the alternative- no, but they knew something was going to happen. Like, but they didn't know what. They didn't know, and they didn't know what they. But they knew they didn't want to be outside. Maybe, I mean, that's true. Seems a bit heartless just leaving leaving these guys outside. It seems. They're bad I don't guys. know. Again, yeah, it's, it's very clear cut. It's yeah, that's ra- true. It's a, again, that's the whole thing. The film has no depth. No, that's <laughs> true. That's true. I feel like we should go into the plot slightly, as in the normal format for cinema limbo, where we talk through the story a bit. Okay, can I? Can I? Having just seen it, can I try and remember the plot? And you tell me if I'm going wrong. Okay. Okay. Some guy, please. An American who's setting up a team. Yeah, this is right so far. Okay. Yeah, I'm just. I'm a bit. The American so, is. The actor isn't called some guy. I know, but I can't remember his name. Alex Hyde White. Right. Alex Hyde White is an American guy called Mimdiana Moons. Jim Ferguson. Jim Ferguson, that's right. And Jim Ferguson, or James Ferguson, as he prefers to be called, um, he is. Directing the launch of a sort of TV dinners brand, uh, where but it's it's kind of celebrity themed, 
celebrity TV dinners. Yeah. So there's lots of pictures of celebrities. Everywhere. There are lots of pictures of celebrities who are not in the film. There's a cutout of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is almost a supporting character. Yeah, uh, a and big, lots of shots with Clint Eastwood in the background. There's a big picture of Clint Eastwood in the background to the point where it looks like he's just watching what's happening in the scene. Yeah, a bit weird. Uh, because when I first heard celebrity TV dinners, I thought, oh, it's like Come Dine With Me or whatever that program is. And they're just doing, you know, I thought it was going to be. Oh, right. Because they, cause he dresses up in like a white, you know. Uh, He's wearing a white tuxedo. Yeah, white tuxedo. And I thought, oh, it's going to be a thing where celebrities have dinner or something. I didn't quite understand that until I saw the actual, you know, dinners themselves. Right. And, um,. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's not up for the tomfoolery with, you know, starlets half naked on things. Nah. He's no. Nah. He has to put up with it from the guy who's his uncle's his, bank. his uncle. The uncle of the guy runs the bank that gave him the loan for the company. Yeah. So he's got it. He's got to. He's got to grease Chuck, the wheels a bit. Chuck, who is, and you might have to bleep this, a complete. He's the biggest villain in the movie, even more so than the He's Nazi. a lovable goof in the end. He's horrible. He he's kind get, of horrible, but he always but gets he... Jim sectioned. That's true. That seems spiteful. Yeah. But, but even then, I think, he was trying, I think he was trying to help. Anyway, yeah, right, okay, okay. So, James meets Admiral Thrawn. <laughs> and Ring, uh, I, Air Doctor... Air Commodore... A doctor? Doctor who? No, that's a different film as well. Also, it was right. Admiral Thrawn. He was Grand Moff Tarkin. Oh, yes, you're right. Sorry. Um, you're right. It was also the other guy who was in Star Wars, because Chuck... He was the other guy that was in Star Wars. Yeah, because Chuck is played by William Hootkins, who played Porkins, the X-Wing pilot. Is that true? Yeah. That's great. Don't look so that's Star good. Wars. No, that's fine. That's an easily terrible that, fact. That is good trivia. That is good trivia. Thank you. Do you think him and Peter Cushing high-fived each other? while filming Beagles I don't think Five Fives have been invented yet and I don't think Peter Cushing would tolerate that no okay no you're right okay he was all class he was he was he was good so Peter Cushing Air Commodore Raymond Air Commodore Raymond Peter Cushing Uh uh, comes up to James's flat yes which is in New York yes and um, he says <laughs> you might want to hurry up. Okay, sorry. Right. Okay. Off. Yeah. 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 It takes longer. Right. Okay. So basically, he, he's he he knows that something's going to happen. Okay. James doesn't know what he's talking about, but then James goes back in time to the Western Front, 1917, where he rescues Biggles from a plane, and then gets sent back into the future. He's confused, and then basically it unfolds that he is Biggles' time twin, and he's going to be instrumental in trying to stop a German super weapon if only they can get a photo of it that's that's the other bit so they, yeah. that's that's the then you're kind of thrust into it yeah. right? there's time travel his um, bosses Jim, Jim travels to London to meet Raymond yes that's so true the so the second yeah. half of the movie in the present well actually like for after about the first ten minutes all the present day stuff is set in London yes thank you and yeah. all set within a single square mile of London yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah. But that's good, that's convenient for them. Again, yeah. efficiency. Um, and all the 1917 stuff all seems to be set in a very small area as well because everyone runs around everywhere. That's true, that's true. Um, there's not much uniformity in the uniforms either. And Well, the Royal Flying Corps, as from what I gather, was, was very new. Okay. Literally, it was set up during the war because they hadn't really 
been any aircraft for any previous British military engagement. So it's kind of, well, who, who knows how to fly a plane and wants to join up? Oh, oh yeah, that's... You do. Okay, well, bring your own clothes. Yeah, I, I mean more, more in the sense of... I mean, you want in a film, if you've got different characters, you want them to have a sort of signature look almost. Yeah. Right? Because you want to be able to tell them apart quite quickly. Yeah. And yet, because it literally doesn't matter who these other people are... You, know, you mean Algie, Bertie and Ginger? Yeah, doesn't Big, matter. Biggles' crew. Well, doesn't matter. If they had swapped out the actors halfway through, would you have noticed? No. Well, yeah, I was paying attention. No, they could have... Ginger is, has ginger hair. Yes. If... Algie has a monocle. Yes. He loses it. He loses it. It falls out, but you were, you were baffled how it was staying in. Yeah, no... It, Actually, I... that's interesting, because normally in these sorts of films, it's the villain who wears a monocle. And that's has a, true. And has a dueling scar. Uh, and... A Julian Scar would have been fine. That would have been and properly. Bertie was the other one, who wears a hat and smokes a pipe. Good. Okay. No, that's okay. That's fine. But but. Okay. No, you're right. Okay. That's the costumer did a good job there. Well done. Uh, and then you've got James, whose signature look is. Indiana Jones. <laughs> well, he turns uh, up at one. He turns up when he turns up at Tower Bridge. He's wearing he like a leather like jacket and a hat, yeah. and it just it just doesn't work. It just doesn't. It's not cool. He's dressed like several Harrison Ford characters at once. Yeah, but he's also dressed like like I went to the shops to get that stuff. Where or no, you describe it I to think someone. You do a better job. At if you describe that. it to someone, like what does Indiana Jones wear? He wears a hat and a leather jacket. You got any more details? No. The, uh, brown, brown. Fingerless, right, fingerless gloves. Fingerless gloves. He's just cold. That's, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, what were we talking about? The plot? <laughs> we're talking about the so, plot. Yeah, so there's like, there's a super, there's, yeah, there's, a German, there's a German super weapon, and uh, if, J- if Jim doesn't help Biggles destroy the German super weapon, then the Germany might win World War I. I've heard it suggested that actually if Germany won World War I, we'd be a lot better off because we wouldn't have had the rise of Hitler, we wouldn't have had World War II, we would have had a, like, nearly a century of peace. The uh, Russian Revolution might have gone differently, maybe, depending on how the war would have gone. So what you're seeing is perhaps Peter Cushing was a Nazi and... He's played a Nazi in other films. And he was trying... It's, to, it's, he it's, knew how... It's the whole thing where they want to do a World War Two story. Yes, but that they is can't absolutely what it is. Because yeah. Biggles is famous for being World War One. Yeah. So they say, oh, if Germany won World War Two, well, obviously that would be terrible. And they want to have Nazis, but they can't. And they want to have yeah. that steampunk stuff. I actually, I checked. This was made just as the very first steampunk books were being written. And the term steampunk wasn't coined until a year after this came out. So I think this might have been a little bit influential in there. Because the whole idea of this German secret weapon that emits sound waves that can turn metal into like flimsy cardboard mm. and makes people's faces fall off and makes water boil. And all the, 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 the German soldiers who are working in this special area have these weird masks on, so they're like covering their eyes mm. with metal, or that, these, all these big metal reinforced. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And it does seem really steampunk, really like Hellboy, or something like Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, but not ornate enough, or not 
Well, no, because they're kind of just making it up, saying, oh, well, what will this look like? Rather than following, yeah. saying, oh, it's going to be like steampunk. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah, of course. This might have had an influence on it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I was slightly bothered by the idea of this secret weapon. Although, actually, I suppose it, it kind of works. The, what I'm bothered by is the idea that they, they have this technology, so they are testing it out full scale. So even though that one gets blown up, they have that technology. That technology oh, exists. I see. Right. They, although, actually, having said that, as I said that, I realised, well, you could then argue, because it was such a dismal failure, they obviously someone just went, well, that's, that's a no-go. And they just abandoned that project. We're all about rockets, guys. That's what we're going to do now. It's all about Zeppelins. Zeppelins, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there were no Zeppelins. That was a miss. Zeppelins are expensive. That's true. That's the thing. One thing we were, I was pleased to notice, I don't know about you, you were laughing too much, was that all the effects seemed to be done for real. There seemed to be almost no model effects or anything. Everything was done physically there. The, the German secret weapon was a, like a full-size... Full-size prop. I mean, you suggested that it was just oh, it's, built onto a crane. It's just a, it's just a crane. But it's, yeah, there's a shot where you can see it's just a crane with with uh, like tinfoil mounted on yeah, the um, with the cherry picker mirrors bit. on it. But it's it's like fifty feet high. It's a big thing that they've built that they could have done with a model. Although, as you, I think you said that it would probably have been more expensive to do it with a model. Yeah, I think you would have because because literally all that thing has is it's got camo. On it. Camo and, and, and some and hand some, mirrors. And some hand mirrors. <laughs> but it looks good. It looks it's a great image. It's yeah, there's a sense of skill there, certainly. Yeah, yeah it, it means when they fly the helicopter in front of it, you can fly the helicopter in front of it. Yeah. You don't have to do and the a ex- kind of weird force perspective. The explosions are all real. There's mm-hmm. there's some you know, there's a dogfight between a helicopter and a biplane. Yeah. And there's the bit where you uh, had to excuse yourself for a few moments. And you miss the bit where the helicopter lands on the flatbed of a train to hide from the other plane, and then it takes off again, which apparently had never been done before. How did that work in... I mean... Did he not notice the helicopter on the train? Well, no, because it's a steam train, so all there's, there's all the steam, oh, so he loses track of where it's gone. Clever. And there's a bit I like the fact that the train driver, can just fly a helicopter. And the train driver, train driver just shakes his fist at the plane as it's flying past. Well, that is practice fuel efficiency by landing on it. That, it was a reckless thing to do. I think that train. Oh, it's a was. cool thing to do because he's biggles. Well, tr- true, but as far as that train driver's concerned, that gives you an awful fright. I would say. He won't know. He can't see behind him. So why was he shaking his fist? Because they were flying past him. So he was just shaking his fist. At this hey, thing, you, no hey, get off the li- hey, get off the line. Get off from where I'm trying to drive my train. But also, what is? <laughs> Surely his reaction. What is that thing? That's well, no, so like if a no, UFO came down and you're like, oh, blooming UFOs just messing things up for me. No, he's shaking his fist at the fighter, at the German fighter pilot. Oh, right, Stalin. sorry, I thought he was shaking it at the helicopter. Which everyone else makes the point of going, what is that thing? Which is good. Yeah, everyone's, everyone, like when um, Biggles' team sees it, says, oh, what are you, what's this flying windmill you've arrived in? And they just assume, oh, it's because Jim's American. Oh, it's an American, it's a new American thing that he's brought over. Yeah, and they do close that circle, as you pointed out. Well, they, 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 they blow, blow it up, up the end, and yeah. they have to. But also, it's it's weird because when you get time travel films like this, there's always a bit where, you, especially if someone else knows about it, so that kind of thing where you meet Peter Cushing for the first time, and that's that sort of, well, I'm saying classic with inverted air quotes, but um, that that thing of, oh my, has it happened yet? I don't know what you're talking about. 
oh, you're just a crazy old man, and then something happens. Or, you know, someone running in and going, what year is it? What year is it? Right? <laughs> Which, again, great joke to play I, on someone. I know I've done that in the office more times than I care to remember. But, um, but after that, it, it's weird because, so he's, he's saying, oh, I'm falling through this hole in time. And people just divide into, you're mad. Or just, I don't know, I understand what's going on. Or his girlfriend is kind of like, well, all right then, if you say so. Well, she says, that, she says that at first, but she's... She's really, not. She's, she's, she's hearing and saying, well, maybe you should get some help. She's trying to say... Yeah, that's true. Be a bit that's more, true. Uh, sort of respectful for his mental state. Yeah, but there's no... there's no, You know, you would have thought the count... Uh, or sort of... Um, and a, a bit to that would be like... You know, I've gone back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take something with me, and I'll be, and then, you know, he'd be like, "See, I'm not mad. I've got this, you know, photo or something." And people are like, "Oh, he's just got this old photo. He, yeah, poor, poor Jamie's gone mad or something." Yeah. Um, there's not, none of that. It's kind of like we're immediately into the police are chasing you because you find a machine gun at a police car. <laughs> yeah, but actually, no. But the thing is, the police, they've got guns to start with because they're arresting. Yeah. Uh, Chuck yeah. and they're arresting Chuck because he's, he said he's I've got a patient he's got a gun I don't want to bet it it's just a normal gun which is supposed to be I guess like a lovable goofy he hasn't really realised the severity of what he's saying but but what? what what is this setup where you go well time to get the guns out and arrest this guy also as you, as you noticed the doorman of the hotel has a pistol yeah I th- and I wonder, is pointing a revolver at Chuck's face I wonder now that I've thought about this uh in the last 10 seconds maybe the doorman was a policeman undercover that must be it right because what the alternative is the doorman just has a gun and gets to help the police arrest him helping by literally having a gun in the guy's face it's not like he's not covering anybody he's not like trying to get the guy to go down the ground the guns two guns are in Chuck's face just moving him into a car that's, I mean, that's weird, right? <laughs> that's, it's a weird bit of plot there. Yeah. I do. I mean, I do want to like now ring up hotels and just say, hi, I'm an American psychiatrist. <laughs> uh, one of my patients is in your room. Could you arrange an ambulance for me and bring strong people? Oh, that's, is he dangerous? No, no, he's dressed, he's wearing a dress and he's got a gun. A gun? Yeah, just a normal big gun. Yeah. What Which I, is the actual dialogue from the movie? What I think, what I think must be happening is, you know, when, when he's on that phone, you can't see it from the camera shot. But I reckon he's on the ground floor in that shot, and so the people at reception, so, somebody are just going. Uh, somebody at reception is obviously taking this call. And they go, "Who's that guy? That guy's making the call." Well, I saw him check in. He's not a psychiatrist, right? Okay, thanks very much. And then he gets on the phone to the police. I think that's what that is because that's, otherwise it's it's a, otherwise there's no there's no sort of connection for him to end up firing a machine gun. There's no reason for him actually. There's no reason for any of that. The only the only thing that's they're trying to do is to get the police to the hotel so that Jim can accidentally fire the machine gun at them so that the helicopter turns up. But he doesn't have to fire a machine gun at the police. He can just fire a machine gun, and the police will turn up. Yeah, but so you can't. All of that, but you can't just have the helicopter necessary. just appear, right? You could, if you did a few cutaways, to say, "Oh, there's a man firing a machine gun. Send out the flying squad." 
boom, boom, helicopter appears. Flying, flying squad, you see. But, 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 but the flying squad is, I think, the, the branch that would turn up if there was a, someone running around with a machine gun in Docklands. Probably. Possibly? I don't know. I think so. It's like they deal with the real... I thought the flying squad was just homicide and armed robbery. No, I, th- I think it's very violent crime, oh, okay. which it sort of would be. But anyway, the, you, but, so that, but that whole bit of Chuck being there and trying to sabotage... I, my take Yeah, you're right. He's, he's a baddie. He's the, he's he's the, a he was trying to sabotage Jim. To what end, though? I think to like, take over his position in the company because he's already, in the, in the scene earlier in New York, said, oh, I've been reading all night. And it turns out he's got this thing that I've read about, which means that he's gone insane. And when they turn up at the hotel and find him dressed as a nun with... Dressed as a nun, it says, he's turned into a religious transvestite. And they see that the machine gun that he's brought back with him from 1917. Oh, he's a transvestite bank robber! So he's convinced that Jim's crazy and he's going to try and get rid of him and take over the company. Well, you know, if he's really convinced of that and the evidence seems to be mounting up, um, maybe he's just doing the, the, the competent thing. I mean, if he's, if he's like the chief financial officer... Of a, of a company with shareholders, he has a legal responsibility to deliver. But he isn't, though, because the air company only exists because they've taken out a loan from his uncle's bank. That also seems weird. Well, they've had to take, Slight, they've had to take, him, they've had to take him on in return for getting the loan mm. because Chuck is clearly a waste of space. Yeah. And also, after all this, Chuck is his best man. Chuck is Jim's best man. At the I, I find that so weird. I find that so... Why are they getting married? I don't get it. Why are they getting married there? Why are they getting married with those people there? Because well, why is it? Why does it happen just immediately? It's not like, uh, yeah. There's. I mean, the message. The message of the film is not like, well, you've got to live for the moment. Let's go. Let's get get married. Let's not wait. It's that's odd, right? That's perfectly fine. What, what's what's the problem with that? I don't know. I just sort of thought that's a. I mean, that's that's not seeded anywhere in the movie, but if they said, well, you know, I could disappear through the whole entire at any point, and I could, yeah, but I could, I could wind up somewhere terrible, and I could die. Let's get married now. Let's not wait. I, I want. I want. To, I want to be married to you. Yeah, if that, they had that, if, the, if that had included, that would have made sense. But otherwise, I think well, they just really want to get married straight away, and. And well, if people want to get married, they're going to do, I guess. And that's, um, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's not, I mean, again, it's not a huge hole in the plot. It's simply there so that... But, you, you know, it's, it's that thing it. where, you know, you, loads of stories end with a marriage. Yeah. Right? To the extent where you think, oh, God, well, it's just, that's a bit cliched. It's a bit... Or, you know, it's a bit too nice. And it's, and it, it's odd in this film... I think, because it's 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 like well they lived happily ever after, but it's completely unearned and and because it's not like a love story or because it's not a, I don't know I just, I just when I saw that I just thought oh that's that is not what I want to see as this summation to this film. They, they, I mean they have a little extra bit at the end which is quite good fun, although even then it sort of ends really slowly and kind of low tempo. You know, the last <laughs> the last shot. It's, it's not like it's, it's literally a shot of nothing. Yeah. And then and then just like four lines more dialogue than there should be. 
it doesn't end on a witty like like bam bam yeah credits it's like da 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 another back and forth yeah and then it's done I mean (laughs) he gets sucked back in the time from his wedding just as he's putting the ring on his uh, wife's finger to a cave in a jungle where tribes we are to presume but I I I would argue that that is possibly in Kent (laughs) where within the film as well yeah where, where tribesmen have tied up Biggles, Bertie, Algie and Ginger who are all yeah. wearing Perth helmets and safari suits yeah but well, they're in a cauldron and they, and they put them in a big pot and they're going to yeah. cook them and um, and again actually that, I mean that really gets to the heart of it right that the, there's a kind of you feel like that there should be a sort of lightness of tone to that sort of situation as there very well could be yeah and yet there's nothing there's nothing there like this, it's so flat, right? And and this happens a lot, like with with, with some of the with some of the di- with some of the dialogue. You you sort of think, I think, um, is it Bertie with the monocle? No, it's algae. Okay, algae. Okay, so he's the one covering sixty percent of the world's surface. Science joke. <laughs> no, I haven't that. Right. Anyway, <laughs> algae. Right. So he um, he says things which are in. In better hands, there would be like kind of quite sardonic, like funny oh, right. little quips, but they're, but they're not, and they're delivered. And it's it's not that I'm not saying he's a bad actor or anything. Like I don't think he even gets that far because there's no there's no direction that 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 gives it a kind of zippiness. It's all sort of like there's a bit where there's a bit where he says, "Oh, I think we're going to be the dummies," and then there's just. It's because there's such a there's such big pauses in between things. You kind of feel like it just needs to be tighter. Yeah, absolutely. Or someone has to uh, the comments have to bounce off another person. Like you can have something where, like, so I guess I guess one of the big successful things in the last couple of years has been like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Right. Where you have disparate characters and so there, there, there's a lot of fast moving things and they, and they and they all keep up with each other. But some of them are quite serious. Some of them are quite daft. Some of them are quite. Uh, you know, they the get in, they, off the wall. Some of them get enraged quite quickly, and you have to bounce that off each other. That's that. The interplay is where 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 things shine. You can't just have somebody saying something, and then all the other characters going, "Yes, yeah, I, yep, I heard that. Yep, yeah, you're right. I think I think they are replacing us. They're replacing the dummies with us. That is that is what's happening in this scene. Yes. So let's break one of the rules that I laid down for. Um, in Cinema Limbo how would you have made this film better if you were making it now <laughs> right okay <laughs> so you've got the directory of ideas already um, based on that I would say delineating the characters of Biggles' team so that they were much more like a disparate different group of people so that they all were very distinctive like one was maybe from a working class background one was upper class. One was, um, I don't know, maybe Indian. Yeah, from 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 the Raj, maybe. But to have, but to have, or but to have, very different personality types, like you said about Guardians of the Galaxy, because the five, yeah, the five team of them, all very very different personality types, and that works really well. Well, I, I mean. I mean, what can you really do, right? Do you, I mean, you can give them a backstory. Okay, that, that that's fine. You you're right. It would be. You, you could do things about um, uh, certainly class or even race within kind of 
First World War and the British mm. Empire. That would that be kind of interesting. But how to bring that out? You've got to have them chat to each other or do do something. Do things. Right? Yeah. So they have to, you have to see them solve something or literally be doing something and working in different ways or bringing a different skill to something. Because you can kind of substitute character for a skill set. Like when you're doing films, like somebody being a really good engineer is kind of their character, mm. like Scotty from Star Trek. Yeah. Right? So you can have that, but then you, but you've got to show Scotty doing something. Right? Or at least some sort of reference to what, like he's the engineer or yeah. he's the only one that can do this. Other, ca- other characters can kind of reinforce that. Or you could have them talk to each other. And they have to do something where it's related to what's going on in the main thrust of the narrative, right? Helping out the hero or whatever. But they've got to kind of meander around that. So you've got to have them have an argument with each other or, you know, laugh at each other or criticise each other or something because the different responses they make to it or the kind of the back and forth, the comebacks, the the sort of... um, or callbacks to personality traits or whatever, that that kind of feeds into the, the kind of stew... Right, you can't just have one of them <laughs> makes makes one comment with nothing to bounce back off of, and that's all you hear from them from ten minutes, and then yeah. ten minutes later, one of the other ones will will chip in with something because all all that is is a, a way to avoid doing an A B A B A B conversation. It doesn't actually how, let them. That, which is how George Lucas writes his scripts. The thing is, it's it. I get, I'm, no, I'm not a scriptwriter, right? So, so, but I can. I am okay, and and you know, I I, I mean, I've I've written one script, okay, that that uh, for 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 a planetarium show. So we wrote oh, right. a script, and actually, it's very easy to fall into that habit because I didn't notice it until we then got someone else to come in and take a look at it because it was me and my colleague were writing it, and we'd never done anything like this before. So our manager, sensibly enough, said, "Get someone else to take a look at it," and the other. The person that now there are a lot of constraints on what we were trying to do, so it's not just like making a film. But the the scriptwriter immediately came in and was like, "Well, I've introduced a third character, so you can go A B A C B C C A." Like you know, and and then when we did look over our stuff, we think, "Well, yeah." Even though the the point of the script was to deliver information, it's not like a story; no, it's, no, you know, it's a sort of science documentary. Yeah. But it's very easy to just go A B A B A B A B because it's it's a really easy way of getting the information across because you can just make your other character ask exactly the right question to prompt the next thing. So it's you know, it, but it risks becoming boring for the audience. It's incredibly boring for the audience, it's, particularly it's in this case boring. where you're trying to impart real information rather yeah. than just a story. Yeah, yeah, and you can't have and, and it's it's really clunky for someone to say, "Oh, do you remember the time when this happened?" And the other person goes, "Yes, I do." Mm. Whereas, whereas you can have another character where you say, oh, well, the thing you don't know about uh, Jeff here is that actually he was a, he actually spent he grew up in Germany and or whatever or you know. So maybe the the, the whole scene where they get to the um, convent and they find Jim wearing only a towel in a room full of nuns, which no one finds at all strange. Again, yeah, but there's not even but you, you could have that a scene earlier with them. Infiltrating them, the the convent and uh, interplay between them as they're doing espionage stuff. Yeah, and they'd be talking about, oh, what, you know, that girl back in uh, in in Lille. You know, what was she? Oh, the same girl that I was with. What you, I said there could be. Oh yeah, yeah. The cla- I mean, that that so stuff that, is quite classic, and you and you can you can change that to fit the tone you want. So if you if they wanted to have this kind of light banter between them, 
yeah, you can have that thing. That's and that's definitely a classic thing of like yeah, war a, films of like it, people reminiscing about some back home or 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 something or you know can have, or giving the audience the idea that there are sort of japes and adventures that they weren't privy to, but these characters have been together for a while. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, I mean that's just good and that, scripting. And, and yeah, so but there wasn't any but, of but, that. They, but they should have. Yeah, can if I am also d- redirecting this, can we also? Yeah. Multiply the budget many, many times over. Well, I want at least two planes. They had two planes on each side. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, the Royal um, Flying Corps consisted of one plane and four pilots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they take it in turns. I want a trench that's more than six feet. Uh, long. yeah, because there was the tree, the tree that we kept seeing that was. Yeah. Showing that yeah. all the trenches were. Wild I mean, I, I mean, I mean, they they had the budget that they had. Mm. I mean, that's not really the production's fault, but I think shortcomings in the writing because writing doesn't cost anymore. No, but I, but you know what? I think there were bits where I, I sort of thought I'd like I'd like to see a good World War One film because there were bits where they, where they were doing the the, the 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 flying scene kind of at the start. You did get some of those shots. You were thinking, because it's very easy when you do ground shots of planes that they look slow, mm. and I mean comparatively these planes are slow, I suppose. But there were ones where you, there were shots where they were you were in the cockpit filming the other other plane flying over fields, and you're like, actually, this is incredibly quick, yeah. and they're very very low on the ground, and that it is kind of thrilling because it's not so fast that you. Know, I I mean I sorry I, I realize I'm rambling I I. I think this is a... It's a thing that kind of interests me in regards to science fiction or sort of war films and things like that about about range, I think, is an interesting thing. The range of, of weapons and what that means for your for your narration, right? So a good thing, if you have a baddie and a goodie fighting, right, two people fighting into conflict, sword fighting is good because they have to be right there fighting each other, yeah. right? I think that's one of the reasons that Star Wars, the kind of the lightsaber, is such a great thing because it's science fiction, but it gets the characters towards each other. And if you have a modern war film now, so much of it has to be um, at a at, distance. It, it, it's at a distance, or, or so much effort has to be put into uh, getting rid of that advantage. If you've got a thing where it's the US fighting somebody else, so much of it is going to be done. You know, it could be from a carrier you yeah. know hundreds of miles away and, and, and that doesn't make it very dramatic whereas in the the First World War stuff that's quite good actually those two planes are, are not shooting each, each other from miles and miles away they, they're close enough for it to be kind of dramatic like that and the, and the you know the ground troops have uh, you know they have uh, rifles and uh, some machine guns and things like that and there is artillery that can launch you know huge uh, things uh, and sound weapons in, in enormous distance and, and sound weapons, but you can't. You can make it thrilling because you can get two people, kind of figuratively, in yeah. each other's faces, um, and uh, yeah. And again, like in science fiction, you have this problem all the time. There's there's no reason why, in, in, you know, if you have these spaceships that can fly around and travel faster than the speed of light, that they shouldn't be shooting at each other from another star system. But that's that's boring on on film, you know. So you have all these things where all the the spaceship fights look like dog fights and things like that. There's, um, 
I, I, I don't know, I just I, I kind of find it interesting. And, and I, when I was watching some of those, I did think a good World War One film about about planes in World War One would be good. You know, st- like tre- uh, one about the trenches would be super depressing, and, and yeah. there's no. I don't think you can do it with any kind of light or thrilling touch. It has to be about how awful it is, because because it just is awful. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I'm not saying you need to make this kind of film, but but if you there's, wanted to make a film, you can make a sort of thrilling biplane dogfight yeah, film. There's a there's a certain romance about. Yeah, I guess so. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 not it's not as mechanized. It, it, no. it, you know you can have you can have a character fighting another character and and be invested in that again partly because the Royal Flying Corps was so new and it was just you know, gentlemen aviators who mm. wanted to join up there is that still kind of that honour aspect of it there, I mean there is the scene where um, Biggles and his arch enemy Eric von Stalin meet face to face and they're very civil because they believe because von Stano at least believes in the honour of warfare yeah but he's he's kind of nasty with it and Biggles yeah. is a bit more you know his heart's pure type of thing yeah but it's I mean they von Stano pulls them a glass of champagne and they they, they share a drink and they toast yeah and but that's more him sort of saying like I got you yeah you know I'm the but best. if he does, Although he does, he does say, he, he does say, he, oh, he, I wish you could have been in the air. He does say what? I'm pretty sure he, he does say something like, you know, oh, I wish I'd beaten oh, you in the air. Oh, yeah, so, yeah on, on our own terms. But he does say, oh, but uh, so when I heard uh, how someone made a, a night landing and texted across a bridge, I knew it could only be the great Biggle. So he's very complimentary towards him. He sees him as a very worthy mm. adversary, but now the game is over. Yes. Yes. We're going to shoot you. But but they have but they were spies, I suppose. Actually, they were spies. Classy, so and, it, and they have the toast where, which says, "Ah, to the dogs of war," and Biggle says, "To peace." Yes, that's that, that's yeah. And it's a yeah. That's that sort of cuts to the heart of it. Cuts to sort of the romance of it. Yeah. Thing that they weren't war, the, the 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 airmen of the time weren't warriors. They were aviators. Yeah, I guess you could... Well, I mean, there is something to that. You could also do a sort of revisionist thing where you would sort of take that apart and show what a terrible thing it would have been to have people essentially playing around uh, in the sky. Yeah. You know, if you want to do... Uh, so, I mean, it, it's a ripe area for exploration, I think. Yeah. Um, well, so well, let's do that. Well, then. yeah, well, make... we've already... <laughs> Well, like, apparently we're already writing a sequel to Escape from L.A. Um, although, uh, listener, you might not have heard that because that was uh, cut from the release version of the episode. Um, so now we've got to write a World War One adventure as well. But then, but but again, that it, it makes it it makes it a little bit depressing what, that that they had that time travel and that that I don't know that turns it into. It just becomes a different film. It's not. It's definitely not a straight adaptation, of course. No, no, no. Right? But it. So you turned it into this kind of strange adventure thing. That is not thrilling, in any way. That's that's a, that's the thing that I do find it really enjoyable. Do you? I do, I really do. Do you I, like who's who is James Ferguson? Uh, J- oh yes, sorry, James Ferguson, the 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 the, the other guy, the other time twin. Yeah, just I just couldn't. Once I noticed how many 
shots that were that went on for too long where he is just looking at things <laughs> like a normal person. But there's no realism about this film, so it's not like that. And and I guess his character is, you know, fish out of water. Mm. Which lasts up into the point where his girlfriend comes back with him and then but but just so many things where he's just sort of standing like relaxed. He's kind of you know, he's not he's not tense or anything. Because he's standing around, or he's just looking, or it's like like his eyes are just sort of darting around, or he's got like a little grin on his face when he <laughs> when he when he comes off the biplane, because obviously he's been taken up for the sort of some like shots, yeah. so you, you can actually see him in the in in yeah. in, 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 in the back uh, the back cockpit. It is the back, yeah, the back the back seat, the gunner's, the, seat, the gunner's, the gunner's position. Seat, yeah, yeah. Um, when he's just got like a little grin on his face because he's obviously having a good time. It's so weird. It's not. He's, a, he's delighted to be back on the ground and not in the sky. Yeah, but it's not like a relieved face. It's like a little. Uh, that was a good. That was good. Well, Biggles enjoyed it. Yeah, but his is more like ah 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 ah. slapping. Yeah. Errol Flynn type. Yeah. Yeah. Bigglesworth. Yeah. There's got to be a few Errols in that family or something like that. He definitely went to Cambridge. Or Oxford. The thing is, when he's travelled back in time, uh, Jim is surprisingly competent. He doesn't like become a big goofball. Of, oh, a gun! Oh. Yeah. He says, "Well, well, I suppose I better. Well, I'm here now. I've got to join in." Yeah. I mean, I guess it is. There's, it's not like ironic. It's not. It's not so sort of pop it, culturally aware. No, it's very. One thing that I really like that a friend of mine noticed when um, he saw the film for the first time in a long time, it doesn't send up the characters. No. And there, there is a line where uh, Jim looks at a photograph of Biggles and the team and says, oh, they look like a vaudeville act. And Raymond, no, I didn't. And, like Raymond, that. and Raymond says, well, actually, they're some of the bravest men I ever knew, and you're, you're freedom to men like that. I didn't like that because I just I because that idea of going what are they some kind of vaudeville why would you respond that way to when an old man hands you a picture of what clearly soldiers military officers yeah it's so it's so weird because their names are Biggles Algy Bertie and Ginger I think it's like Wilson Keppel and Betty yeah but it's but it I don't know I just thought that's really weird that's such an odd I, I understand the point though because they're trying to undercut the whole aren't these silly and old fashioned by saying no actually they were in but the right way they were heroes you're right you're right but I just think the, 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 the tone doesn't change enough there's no, the, it, because it's so flat there's, there's not you don't get the impression that he is trying to so Peter Cushing <laughs> It's telling him all these things, right? So you don't get you don't get the feeling that that, that James Ferguson is kind of trying to. I realise I'm mixing up the actors and the characters. It's <laughs> fine. It's all fine. You're, you're, they're, they're distinct. Yeah, you don't get the, the idea that he's trying to then push back in terms of tone, like Peter Peter Cushing is telling all these kind of serious things that are yeah. kind of exposition, but also like this is what's happening. And James Ferguson isn't going. Well, uh, you know, he's not making a joke about it. He's not sort of. He, he doesn't come in with a slightly different tone. It's it's like, all right, okay, I I see. And then he kind of makes this rubbish vaudeville joke, and you're like, 
there's, there's just not enough there aren't enough different levels for it to be entertaining you right. know it comes across as flat it, it, it needs to feel rich oh well, that doesn't really mean anything it needs to have more texture perhaps yeah yeah more, more sort of a sense of to- a sense of the tone of a scene and that on the one hand Raymond is telling him about Biggles and clearly when Biggles comes forward to the present and actually meets Raymond it's a very touching moment and Raymond has tears in his eyes and reaches out and hugs him and it's hard to take against that because Peter Cushing just sells it yes well no denying he's, he's, he's very good and the great unrecognised British action hero Peter Cushing have you seen uh, Dracula the original Dracula with him is that where um, with, with Christopher Lee yeah Christopher Lee I've seen bits of it I don't think I've seen it the, the climax is um, uh, Peter Cushing plays Van Helsing chases Dracula back to his castle and there's a big sort of showdown in the banqueting hall and Dracula's going to get away but Van Helsing realises how to get how to best him he leaps up onto the banqueting table he runs the length of it leaps off the end grabs onto the curtains pulls them down and sunlight floods into the room and turns Dracula into a pool of ash no stunt men Cushing did that himself leaping around and throwing himself all over the set there's no money for stunt men it's amazing but I mean there were bits where uh, he's also the only person who ever bosses Darth Vader around that's true Um, apart from the Emperor doesn't really boss him around. He doesn't. He gives him orders, but but in Star Wars he says, "Vader, release him." That's true. Actually, stop that. Stop playing silly buggers. Yes, that's true. Yeah, some of the stunts were like in um, Biggles. In Biggles, yeah. yeah, the stunts are great. Yeah, the stunts, the stunts of Star Wars were good. The stunts, yeah. the, stunts in, the stunts in Dracula's original Hammer. Yeah. Was. <laughs> Stunts in Hammer's original Dracula. Dracula. Yeah, I've had two tins of Stella Artois. Listener, leave me alone. Other drinks are available. Oh, good because they're quite like another one. No, I just meant in terms of the branding. Oh right. <laughs> okay. Might, maybe an edit point here, or you can leave this in, Martin, just for a bit of uh, colour. <laughs> just the sounds of going for a drink. Going to the fridge. Yeah, the, um... <laughs> that's a good start to sentence. <laughs> start it as you open the. It's going to be a lot of outtakes this season. Yeah, the stunts in Biggles, I think, are really great. Um, yeah, there are lots of bits where there are lots of bits where it's definitely not them. Uh, yeah. but there are some bits where, like, uh, but even then, it's stuff like abseiling down the outside of Tower Bridge. That's a great visual stunt. I mean, that's a great concept visually. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, do, it did make me think you wouldn't. You couldn't. Be, you couldn't really get. You could do that now without a lot of effort. That's something I thought about while, while I was watching the movie. I mean, that and also they take such wild liberties with a well-known fictional property. They literally couldn't make them like this anymore. If there was to be a Biggles movie now, it would be more in the tone of Indiana Jones. Because it would have to be, because that's the sort of thing that they know is yeah. uh, a pro- proven to be popular. 
but they wouldn't go so far as to add time travel. No. Um, or, or, or indeed, they wouldn't add American characters, because you can have you know, Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman and, and all the rest of that crowd. Yeah. Um, and you can have bankable English actors in it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I was talking We're to allowed to make our own films now, it's good. I had a conversation with my dad a while ago. And we were talking about um, Saturday night family dramas. Okay. Because obviously Doctor Who is a huge hit, intermittently. Um, and a number of other shows have run in the last ten years or so to capitalise on the success of Doctor Who. We've had Robin Hood, we've had uh, Jekyll and Hyde recently, mm-hmm. Merlin. And we were thinking about other characters that could be turned into modern action adventure series for a family oh, I see. and my dad's suggestion was one that I wasn't really aware of which is a character created by Dennis Wheatley who's better known for supernatural horror novels but was about an English spy active in France uh, during the period after the revolution okay. so it's a little bit sort of Scarlet Pimpernel crossed with 24 maybe um, I thought a reboot of The Saint. <laughs> because. <laughs> they tried that. They did. They, keep, they try it every 10 or 15 years. Mm. But um, it, uh, you've, we, you've I haven't seen the pilot, the, that pilot. I, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen that either. But um, you, I know that you've seen the film. Yes. And um, you, are, you have a lot to say about the film of The Saint. Um, but you've seen the, have you seen the Roger Moore TV show? I've seen individual episodes here and there. It's beyond right. So, so you, uh, yeah. Well, it was originally ITV, but it's been. Oh, it's ITV. Okay. Um, but so you know the concept. So you think that that could work in a modern setting? I think the the debonair international playboy who helps people in trouble. Yeah, I think it's just is. I think it's it's quite difficult to do sort of international shows like the Man from Uncle or something like that. I think it's harder to disguise that you're. Filming it in a quarry in Wales again. You'd need to be able to make it international. Yeah. So you actually film all sorts of places. And yeah. Very, very, I mean, that's very difficult to do, it seems. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I do kind of want, I do wish, I mean, it's certainly one thing I think in in general it's getting off topic perhaps a bit, but we, so, you know, after, you know, a a century more of film, Mm -hmm. um, the, the actual places that you've seen filmed cover a tiny, tiny part of the earth. I mean, there are some some location shoots and things like that. But I always think it'd be amazing if you could just have, like, just a TV show that was set somewhere. You know, you could do like science fiction. If you wanted to do science fiction, you could just take it to somewhere that wasn't, you know, the desert outside Los Angeles All right. or you know. So just somewhere that you don't. See on, yeah. Talent. So like uh, Laos, yeah, yeah. Let's have a series about that because that's a country that, in Britain, we know almost nothing about. Yeah, we know Thailand a bit, you know Vietnam a bit, but Laos is a unknown yeah. quantity. Let's have a series set there about that. Yeah, yeah. I just think yeah, the variety that's available is mm. is, is definitely more than we're, you know, we, we we see. But but, I mean, if you're talking about bringing a, a specific character in. That's that's a tricky one. But my obviously the thing that I'm really get edging towards is: Do you think Biggles could work as a TV show in a modern 
setting? Because there has been a Biggles TV show before. But do you think it could be done with a modern sensibility? Modern sensibility or a modern setting? Modern sensibility. It would still be World War I. Um, um, I mean, as I said... They did carry on writing Biggles. Uh, w. E. Johns, the creator of Biggles, carried on writing them until the late 60s, and they still had contemporary settings until then, but they were just Cold War. I think it's quite difficult to, to do something about war that's a century old without... Need, uh, to, to do it straight, if you like. Uh, I, think it, I think you have to... I think you'd have to bring in what we know now, like the, the centuries worth of right. Of uh, it would have to be done at a, sl- a slight ironic distance, perhaps. Not not irony as such, but I think you couldn't um, a modern well, it's like a, a modern sensibility. Yeah. So it would reflect perhaps the realities in some way of a one. Like we were saying, you couldn't do an adventure series set in the trenches because it's just too awful. Yeah. You could do something set about well, a flying corps. So you could have that say, well, the Flying Corps, they're maybe in a more privileged position because they're not dying of trench foot and yeah. malnutrition and being shot in the head but, but But even that, I think, is, is quite difficult because I think you, you're not going to get... It, it's going to be very hard to argue that the, the war is... Not just, I don't mean just, but, but entertaining... It's quite. Yeah. Like, it's still quite. It's still pretty tricky. It's, yeah, it's t- it's too raw a wound. I mean, Blackadder got away with it just. But that that, that was showing how the, the, there was kind of humour in the misery. Yeah, and but it was mining the misery. It was actually it was satirical. Yeah, because it was mining the misery for humour. Yeah, it's it's it, it, it's a bad it's a bad situation. <laughs> That's about the most glib way of putting uh, you know the First World War. Yeah, it's a bad situation, but. I don't know what the victory conditions would be for your, for your, for your TV series. You know, the, the, it seems to be more and more stuff is done about crime. As misplaced as some of that stuff is, it's the idea that you can defeat things within society. And you get lots of very hyper-violent kind of crime dramas where, you know, you can, you can kill or lock up the criminals. That's the kind of victory conditions for cops versus robbers. Right. And you can do things where, you know, people flip sides and it's not as simple as that, but at the end of the day, there's a kind of, there's a set of conditions that, you, that, that the people are trying to aim for. The sorts of shows they end up making often are based on existing pop, popular culture characters because they are derived from a time when fiction wasn't so violent. Robin Hood, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, Doctor Who, Merlin. But there's also a safety in the fact that if if you're talking about something that happened hundreds of years ago, you don't have to worry too much about like what would happen right right now if this was going on. It's it's much it, you can portray people more as pantomime villains or pantomime goodies, mm. um, and that's fine because it's kind of these things have settled down into archetypes or they're kind of. Yeah, the kind of there are tropes that, you, that you're being. It's very hard to do with kind of contemporary stuff. I don't know. I might have been talking myself around to the, the right point where maybe maybe you should bring Biggles back. But I just think it would be very difficult to do a first world war. Um, well, 
as we said, that the um, the character carried on, and he carried on into Cold War and with the Special Air Police. So there are options as to how to cover the character mm. in other ways. What did you think of the music? Um, Wasn't it fantastic? It was. It was it was eighties tastic. I mean, it, was, it was it was an odd fit. Yeah, the, the the test sequence is terrifying. I remember being freaked out, but when I was a kid, that well, freaked me out. Yeah, that's a really nasty sequence. Where, I mean, when I bought the DVD, and I feel I, I want to go into the background of how I first saw the movie. Um, I fell off a climbing frame. And, and you dreamt the whole thing. <laughs> I still am. Uh, I fell off a climbing frame when I was about uh, six and um, I hurt myself and I can't remember how and uh, I was falling off a climbing frame presumably yeah but no I quite, which part of my body all oh, right and um, my parents sort of to, to make it up to me and cheer me up so that they borrow a video from the local video shop cool and it was this one and you resented them ever since and I thought this is the perfect film no, and I loved it. Yeah, when and I was a kid, I, I thought it was good too. I bought the DVD while I was unemployed because I'd been to a Doctor Who convention over the previous weekend. There's so much to unpack I'd, in that sentence. <laughs> All right, keep going. I'd taken loads of pictures. I took them to be developed. And then when I got them back from the developer, all blank. So I bought the DVD to cheer myself up, even though I was unemployed and it was... It was, it was that or eating. Wow. So I want to, I, I want to turn that into a film. It was a real comfort. I'll tell you that. Wow. I'm intrigued by that. Oh, let's turn that into I'm a film. A, well, I'm a fascinating man. <laughs> um, when a movie came out in Germany, and it was released in Germany, it was called The Biggles Effect. The Biggles Effect? Yeah, I'd quite like that. What I would do is I would have had... I would have had if you had to have time travel in it, I would have had... Biggles being pulled through time by scientists in the modern era experimenting with time travel stuff right and he would have come and <laughs> hung around <laughs> just hung around that's not a story no I know <laughs> yeah, he that's just... what the Biggles effect would be if I you know. well it's because uh, the no it would be a dystopian future right a dystopian future where there are no more sort of square jawed heroes and everything, everyone's a bit mopey, and basically they pull him back, pull him forward in time, and he basically lets the, them rise up and fight their robot overlords. Well, that's not a terrible idea, but it could be anyone apart from Biggles doing that because he doesn't get to do any Biggles stuff, which is punch Germans and fire planes. Um, the robots could be German. They have a very good manufacturing made, 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 base. Made by, made by Volkswagen. They're a very, uh, very technologically advanced country. Uh, it could be flying robots. And, and, he, ooh, and he rides ooh. around on one. Well, he can't use any of the robots' technology against them. They have to go old school. Ah. Something that flies low on the ground, quite slow. This is the original ending to Independence Day. The original ending was Randy Quaid. You know Randy Quaid flies the jet? And the, yeah. In the original ending, he's, he's flying his crop-dusting biplane and it's got a nuclear weapon or something tied to the wing and he crashes it into the spaceship and it explodes. And they shot that and they showed it at test screening and people laughed at it. 
Yeah. And that was the part of the movie that they thought they had to change. Well, I mean, biplanes are quite funny. And they're not very fast. No. As compared to other planes. Especially I the mean, ones that have the sort of slightly frilled edging on the wings. What? The, so rather than a sort of straight edge wing, you get oh, the ones that have a slightly sort of webbed. They look funny. I mean, they look like little kind of carnival fun times. Um, but he's, he's also an amazing pilot. He can fly anything. I've had an idea for a sequel. All right. And okay. it's still set in World War One. Okay. It involves a young Hitler. Right. And he's got a time twin, but from the Napoleonic Wars. So Hitler's the hero in this? No, no, he's in it. He's like a supporting character. Right. And he's got a time twin from, from the, the past further back. So you can have multiple characters with multiple time twins. Okay. And could, no, I, do, I mean, I like that. I, I, I mean, like a thing where they've got to keep Hitler safe because they don't want to wreck history by anything happening to him. You wouldn't want anything bad to happen, eh? No, because I think, well... We know how history turns out if Hitler lives. We don't know what's going to happen if he, if something happens. If he dies, someone else could take his place. They could be even worse. Mm-hmm. And you know, he, they could, they could win the war. And that would, that you know, that would be dreadful. It'd be, so, it'd be so hard to get the tone right. I know, but they could end up with them just punching Hitler and saying, "Yeah." That big old saying. This is going to make sense. Big old old friends from Golders Green or something. When you find yourself in in a bunker and you're thinking about doing it, just do it. You'll know what I'm talking about. Just do it. Everyone will be much happier. Don't give up the painting. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I like the idea that they sort of established that (laughs) established quite uh, you know throwaway line of like well it's not it's not yeah, time un- travel's not unknown in history it's not unknown in history you've got evidence of this happening yeah there's evidence of it happening all the time really? <laughs> well, well yeah. again it's like just papering over plot holes with a single line of dialogue yeah which I really love it when they do it because I thought well we need to address this we can't just pretend to ignore it because someone will say look at that mm. but they just paper over and say oh yeah this is quite normal yeah there's, I mean, a, there's a great line in Halloween 3 where um, the villains have stolen one of the megaliths from Stonehenge and taken it all the way to California. And um, the villains are sort of explaining his past. Oh, well, and, you know, we've got, got all that megalith all the way over here from California. You'd never believe how we did it. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's all the explanation. That's good, yeah. Well, they, they can work sometimes. But there's going to be... Just a there's going to be a bit of... Zippiness to that. It's that a little kind of... nod to say, we know this is ridiculous, yeah. but you know, yeah. you've already paid. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of. I mean, I mean that even happened in one of those Sherlock things. Mm. It doesn't explain where he, you know. But I mean, it's handled somewhat cleverly in that loads of people are trying to explain it and they go, no, no, that's not it, or you know, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, or that wouldn't make sense because of such and such. Um, that's 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 fine. That can be handled in a fun way. Can be, but not, it's not always. Well, uh, I think we might need to wrap up. Um, a final word about the scene in which you can see Jim Ferguson's testicles. I don't think you can. I think. Well, we watched this on Blu-ray, and should we rewind it? Well, we have this on a video projector, and the picture covers an entire wall of the living room. 
Um, we could check later. <laughs> if yeah. someone walks in, we're going to have to answer a lot of difficult questions. Uh, I think it's great. I really like it. I really enjoyed watching it again. I do not think it's great, but I'd be all right with like kids watching it. Even though, about... even though there's a load of swearing, that's fine. There's jokes about porn. There's some really filthy double entendre. That's fine. And there's a they bit where someone it. has their eye pulled out. That's fine. Kids love that stuff. Rated PG that's... for. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, I would watch like a like like a wee, like a t- like a ten year old. They'd probably love this stuff. I was well, I was six and I thought it was the best thing in the world. Okay, well I, the thing is, they probably wouldn't think it's good because they'd have seen Star Wars. Star Wars is crap compared to this. This is better than Star Wars. Strongly disagree. <laughs> Thanks to Ed Bloomer for making the time to be on this podcast. Cinema Limbo is now available on iTunes with almost a dozen episodes, so please subscribe, download, and review to your heart's content. If you have any personal messages for me, then feel free to contact me via Twitter at j underscore j underscore Phillips, or if you have any suggestions or comments about the show, it's at cinema underscore limbo. However, until next time, remember, it's not that bad. It's only World War One. Goodbye. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo. Hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips. Edited by Martin Fenton. With music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcast Network. Come and visit us at www.podnose.com. <laughs>